Alright! Andy and Trottier for Discussions of Truth. Here I am, Wednesday. Here we are. Uh, if you are listening live right now, the uh, one of my sites, then uh, here we are. Uh, otherwise, you're hearing my voice via podcast. Uh, typically, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes. I just got back from an incredible experience, uh, real fun time uh, with, uh, going to promote his book right here, the Google whistleblower Zach Voorhees, whistleblower's expose of big tech censorship. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy says this about uh, the work with, that Zach has done. Uh, frankly, he's an American hero. That's from uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and uh, this is a jam-packed book uh, in regards to the information that Zach found as being a Google engineer for uh, seven years. Uh, and something called the Machine Learning Fairness. For instance, on May 31st, 2017, after returning to the White House from visiting Saudi Arabia, the Palestinian Authority, Israel, Italy, and the Vatican, Belgium, and Sicily... Donald Trump tweeted, despite the constant negative press, Cove Fefe, as NPR recounted later in the year, the tweet was posted at 12.06 a.m. Eastern Time. Who can figure out the true meaning of Cove Fefe? C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Enjoy. What Zach later gets into here is that big tech... Uh, big Tech had basically had their way with the sitting president. And uh, as we know, he was later censored from Twitter and Facebook. But getting to the crux of Zach's argument with machine learning fairness. I mean, what is Kavefe? Uh, the sitting president was... Uh, was attacked in the sense of a, a digital attack on not only his posts and posts that promoted his work to drop those rankings dramatically uh, in the search query listings. So being, uh, being a, an American liberal... Um, in, in, in a large sense, um, he drew the line and said, this is, uh, you know, this is just not right. Uh, there's no, no freedom of press here for, for this, this, this person. Epochal Reckonings, J.P. Lindstroff, the winner of the Provis Prize 2019, uh, joined me last week. J.P. is a regular on the show. Uh, he's got a Ph.D. from Oxford. He's a Fulbright Scholar. Uh, former Fulbright scholar to Brazil, and it really does a beautiful job in this book, this recent book of his, uh, of poetry, that uh, tackles some of the large-scale events and scenarios, situations that we're seeing globally right now, and he puts them into some very powerful, um, powerful uh, prose, if you will. So I'm recommending that your way 
And as I mentioned last week, and I have done so for the past couple weeks, L.K. Samuels, the author of Killing History, the False Left-Right Political Spectrum, is another work that, uh, that I recommend you reading. Now, now what uh, Larry has written here is a 500-page um, bombshell here. Uh, the two polar opposites are communism and fascism. What is in the middle? Is in the middle halfway between communism and fascism? Excuse me, and that's if. If this is true, then everyone not on the extreme ends must be half communist and half fascist. Nobody believes that, but the old political spectrum prescribes that exact political scenario. So there must be a better way. This book was written to expose the false narrative of right-left political spectrum that has been altered, falsified, and distorted in ways that could be characterized as historical sabotage. This book has over 1,500 footnotes by major and minor historians and political scientists who have helped to set the record straight and provide political compass that points to a true understanding of the political dichotomy. David R. Henderson, research fellow and editor of the Concise Encyclopedia of Economics, has this to say about the, the book. The chapter explaining how Mussolini and Hitler were left, left-wing s- statists is worth the price of the entire book. Read Killing History by Lake L.K. Samuels and learn. And you know this is. I'll bring. I'll be bringing Larry on at some point to the to the to the to the program because, and I was able to meet him, at a recent event that I went to. Uh, I will be in Colorado and uh, I'll be uh, in in uh, back in Miami and Doral um, in October, uh, Colorado here in a couple of weeks, and uh, also. I'll be at uh, an event called The Truth About Cancer in Nashville. Those are uh, three locations that I'll be traveling to here uh, in the next uh, eight weeks. But if you, if this is your first time listening to me, I, I basically urge Americans not to take sides politically. I'm not, not to say not to have an opinion about politics. But in my view and my research here, since I began the program almost five years ago, is that the political spectrum in the United States is deliberately pigeonholed to divide into two. And therefore, it makes it easier for the powers that be to divide and conquer. This is my argument, my personal argument. So small Green Party, uh, Libertarian Party, some of these small parties that struggle to gain ground, that's done deliberately. Um... Now, the Democrat-Republican Party, I believe, it was, began in the 18, what, 1828, maybe. And uh, that's the roots of the Democrat Party and really the Republican Party. So both of those parties, from my understanding, root to that initial movement. But that was 50 years, essentially, of U.S. government without either one of the two major parties that we know of today. Um, certainly the Whigs. Uh, being, uh, wait, what was in Washington, a Whig? Um, so, um, so that's kind of what I argue, right? And I, and I also argue that you need to be listening to and reading up on the understanding of the Federal Reserve System. Because like a master plays a puppet, on so many different levels, the Federal Reserve plays the American people like a puppet via international interests and not the interests of the American people. So that is that is the argument that I 
personally make on this program. Uh, and that is, uh, that is what my research has led me to over the course of, uh, over the course of the, um, the past few years. And I draw from author uh, and researcher Stanford Hoover, Stuart Hoover, uh, Stanford Hoover fellow, Anthony Sutton. That is the person from who I base mostly all of my arguments. That is as a basis, and from there branching out, of course, to um, to others. We today host, I believe, for the fourth time, um, Tom Hartman, New York Times best-selling author, Tom. Hartman. So, uh, going to uh, going to bring him on right now, uh, and we will uh, we will chat about his um, about his uh, most recent uh, most recent uh, book, and that book is the Hidden History of American Healthcare. So, bear with me for a moment as I dial in Tarm. I let's see if we can bring Tom on right now. Sure I've got the right. This may not be the right address for Tom Hartman, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, that seems to be the uh, the incorrect. Uh, the in incorrect. I just just chatted with him yesterday, so it's a matter of my. Um, uh, my uh, timing here to uh, to thread him in here, and we've got um, uh huh yes, uh, Tom Hartman. I know he's standing by because I just spoke to his attendant yesterday or his assistant rather. The attending. It's not that. Okay. Uh, there we go. Right there. Oh no. Okay. Shoot the uh, shoot a quick. <laughs> pardon. Uh, so so I shoot a quick uh, response here. Okay, and we'll bring in Tom Hartman. Now Tom is. As I mentioned, uh, a past guest of the program, uh, Tom and I have chatted a number of times. The the most recent book, Ed Asner had this to say has this to say about his most recent edition. The uh, excuse me, I would gladly follow Tom Hartman into hell. I'd be unafraid because with Tom there, I'd know the devil's minions couldn't touch me. Um, why sickness bankrupts you? And makes others insanely rich. Okay, now you know most of my argument, most of my argument here on on, on my program is, uh, yeah, some of the, okay, okay, so some of the basics, right? I mean, some of the some of the basics here is that uh, that there definitely should be some level of caring for your citizens. Okay, you you're you're a nation, you're a country, you're a government, you provide. Uh, you provide paved roads. You're providing uh, a public education. Uh, you're you're providing some of the 
basic living uh, things for for people that are paying your taxes, right? So so you have to kind of you have to kind of say, okay, you are you are paying a government, right? Make no mistake about this, you are the government, right? So you 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 create the government, you form the government, you tell the government what you want from them. Uh, well, for some reason, and we'll get into this with Tom hopefully here in a few moments. For some reason, of course, uh, when it comes to healthcare, there is just simply uh, no type of care provided in the United States for their citizens, except for military service personnel and veterans. So you have to basically go to war and pick up a gun and shoot other people uh, for the name of natural resources, again, this is my view, to receive some type of medical care from the United States government. There, there's issues with that. Absolutely. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. Um, there's no reason why there should not be some type of care for U.S. taxpaying citizens or personnel, in my view. Okay, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that heart transplants be provided by taxpayers. I'm not suggesting things of that nature. And I'm certainly not suggesting any type of mandate on any vaccination. Okay, and if you know the work that I do, I am completely opposed to a mandate on masks. I, I find that to be silly. Absolutely silly. And now with the vaccine passports being passed in New York, uh, looks like California's fighting... Uh, tooth and nail to try to get vaccine passports there. I know in Canada, uh, okay, I know in Canada we've got uh, issues with the Canadians and vaccine passports. Uh, and, uh, okay, so Tom's, Tom's not able to see me. Let's just call him in. We're going to do a Skype. We were going to do a Skype with him. I'll just call him in because uh, I do have his number and calling in Tom Hartman, ladies and gentlemen, calling in Tom Hartman. He's the Number one progressive talk show host in the country, nationally syndicated, has written a number of books. There we go. Tom Hartman. And again, this is Discuss Your Truth. Tom, nice to meet with you. Uh, nice to have you back on the show. Ian Trache here, Discuss Your Truth. Hey, Ian? Ian? Yes. It's Ian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are, we, are we supposed to do Skype or are we doing this on the phone? We can do this on the fine. I, I was trying to get you on Skype. Uh, for some reason, I uh, don't see your handle, so phone phone is fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm at. Uh, we're not live or on the air or anything right now, right? We. Uh. We. Yes, we're recording. Yeah, but I, I was just going to give you my Skype handle um, if you want to try that. But you know, I, I've got you on the phone, so let's just do this. Okay, we'll do it. Um, and you know, in um. In, in 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 conversation with your assistant, uh, Tom, uh, I do have. Well, well, I'll get that situated with uh, with Michelle moving forward because uh, seems that like we have done Skype in the past. I think this is your fourth time joining the show, um, but uh, well, let's just we'll just we'll just roll with it. We'll we'll go with it. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Well, it's it's been a. Uh, I'm doing great. I, I'm frankly doing great, and the program continues to grow. Uh, you know, go, looking back, Tom, I, you were one of the, you're one of the initial guests that I had. I'd probably been doing the show for about a year, uh, and it seems that you joined me. You joined the show annually or so. So I know uh, it. Everything's going great, and um, 
we have got an exciting time that we're living right now uh, in, in, in the world and certainly in the, in the United States. So everything's, uh, everything's going great. The Hidden History series for, uh, for listeners is uh, Tom's current work. And uh, what we'll be discussing today is the American healthcare, why sickness bankrupts you and makes others insanely rich. And Tom, like the past work that you had done, um, you know, your title says it all. Um, and it, re- it, 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 it holds nothing back and it, it directly attacks um, the issue at hand here. And that is a large discrepancy from, right, the haves and the haves nots. So when it comes to healthcare, uh, there is an overwhelming number of have-nots. Yet the most powerful country on the planet, via military, uh, it seems that this government uh, could be, and quite sensibly should be, providing some type of basic care uh, for uh, for 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 its citizens. Yeah, you would think, uh, you know, of the 34 richest countries in the world, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD countries, we are the only one that has not defined healthcare as a right rather than a privilege. Um, even the United Nations Charter defines healthcare as a right, not a privilege, although we, we choose to ignore that. Um, and, you know, from the 1880s, when we first started having this conversation until the 1980s, it was largely race that prevented America from having a national health care system. And since the 1980s, it's been largely big money. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, we're getting screwed healthcare wise on a, on a regular basis. We've got millions and millions of people, uh, tens of millions of people who have no health insurance uh, or its equivalent and uh, over you know, well over 100 million people who are so badly uninsured that just getting sick can wipe them out. Uh, financially right we're the only developed country in the world where a half million people a year go bankrupt because they got sick it literally the number in canada last year was zero i mean the number in france is zero the number in germany is zero here in the united states a half a million. well last year was seven hundred thousand, and this year it'll be a million because of COVID. right uh, it's nuts it's crazy that we're doing this to ourselves yeah so 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 why are we why are we doing this to ourselves um, and um, and it has to has to do with money. But let's let's pull back to Taiwan because you basically open the book up by addressing uh, by addressing the this this uh, the the single payer uh, system out of Taiwan and how they're doing things. Explain for listeners what's going on over there in Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan has probably the world's cleanest, simplest, um, and one of the more recent um, single payer systems. I mean, in the last 50, 60 years. Um, where everybody's in, uh, you, you literally, when you're born, um, you get the equivalent of a kind of a social security card, you know, that's your ID card that's got, and your medical history is all there and it follows you throughout your life. You can walk into any doctor, any hospital, any healthcare facility, any pharmacy, whatever, just present your card and boom, whatever your needs are, they're taken care of at no cost. And because they have that central database, um, on January 20th, a year ago, a year and a half ago, 
on January 20th, uh, we got our first case of COVID here in the United States that we knew about anyway. And they got the next day on the 21st, they got their first one in Taiwan. Now, Taiwan's a smaller country, there's 23 million people, but still, uh, it's a substantial sized country. And, and Taipei is a very, very dense city. I mean, New York City. And uh, within, within a matter of weeks, they had a national testing, COVID testing and contact tracing program that throughout the course of the pandemic up until the end of the Trump administration had had lost fewer than 100 people. We lost over a half a million people, you know, the way that Trump handled us. They, they, they lost fewer than 100. Today, they, they have lost fewer than 300, right, to, yeah. to this day, um, to COVID. And, you know, and they have not had quite the equal access to vaccine that we have. They're just starting to ramp that up now. But it's because they have this national health care system. They understand that individual health care and public health are inextricably intertwined. They are the same thing at many, many different levels. You can't separate the two the way that we've tried to do here in the United States, much to our detriment. Now, of course, we 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 can we we can target and realize that Obama, under Obama, he tried to implement something uh, that helped across the board, uh, basic Americans. He was giving out cell phones. Uh, one of those things that he that he was trying to implement was Obamacare. Um, Trump got in the office, and what did he do? He totally squashed that, Tom. Uh, well, first of all, the the giving out cell phones program started with Ronald Reagan. Ah. Um, but the, uh, the I know they the right called the Obama phones, but it was actually a program that Reagan started. Um, but I, I'm sorry, I missed I'm, I, that. I, I caught that and I missed the the tail yeah. end of your question. So the, what happened? Question. Right. So so what happened to Obamacare? Because because in the book you get into uh, you know Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, some of these. This is a hot topic. Um, what happened to Obamacare? It's I it it seems like it's not it doesn't uh, exist anymore. Maybe it is, but I'm not hearing about it. Well, Obamacare, there's there's uh, some 10 or 20 million people right now who have health insurance, uh, maybe more. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the number off the top of my head right now, um, who have health insurance, uh, particularly in the states that expanded Medicaid through Obamacare, that would not have health insurance right now were it not for the Affordable Care Act, number one. Number two, before the Affordable Care Act, health insurance companies could rip you off in all kinds of obscene ways. Um, if you got really seriously sick and were going to be very expensive to them, they could go back in your medical history back to when you were a teenager and say, oh, you took this wow. uh, this pharmaceutical for your acne that we now know 30, 40 years later can lead to leukemia. So we're not going to cover your leukemia because that's a pre-existing condition. Um, the, you know, that got blown away with Obamacare. Um, a lot of the, the, uh, the, the they used to you know, they, they capped out the profit of the health insurance companies at 20%. Um, there, there are a lot of good things about Obamacare that we have. The, the two main things that uh, got gutted out of Obamacare were, number one, the Supreme Court said that uh, uh, the, well, actually, this is the main one, was that individual states could opt out of Medicaid expansion. Had they not done that, had the Supreme Court not done that, because we have 12 former slave states now that all have said we're not going to take billions of federal dollars and only have to pay 10% as the state, take the 90% federal money and provide that to the working poor. This is not for the non-working poor. This is for the working poor, people making between $3,000 and $13,000 a year. Um, 
those those 12 states have said, no, we're not going to provide that to them because the Supreme Court gave them the ability to do that. Had the Supreme Court not done that, everybody in America would be covered right now. So, you know, that's the the but the the other problem with Obamacare is that it's it's done through the for profit insurance companies. And that's, you know, they're 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 like a giant leech on our backs, just sucking blood out of us all the time. Um, you know, they're skimming all this money off the top and it's just absolutely unnecessary. We're the only country in the world that has this kind of a system where the average American family is spending three thousand dollars a year more than in any other developed country for health care and and where uh, you know, people are, are literally dying as a result of it, you know, and, and going bankrupt. You know, we have a half a million bankruptcies every year because somebody got sick in America. And the number in Canada is zero. You know, the number in France, Germany, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Spain, Italy, zero. But here in America, half a million, well, last year was 700,000. This year it'll be a million because of COVID. Um, it just doesn't happen in other countries. And we really need to join the rest of the world. Yeah, I want you to talk about uh, Peter Mogensen a little bit because you you're, you address him uh, uh, a little more midway through 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 the book to get into that. But 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 why is it that America America continues to allow this to happen? Is uh, first off, is America just too greedy? What what's 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 the thought there on that, Tom? There have been two uh, phases. Um, in the, the in the 1880s was when medicine really became kind of a profession as opposed to you know just the traveling medicine man, and 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 1884 was when Germany got their first single payer healthcare system and we really started discussing this, and in the 1880s a young man named Frederick Hoffman came over here from Germany he was 17 years old, and he was a math genius. And he was the guy who figured out, he went to work for the Prudential Insurance Company, which was a life insurance company at the time. And he was the one who figured out that the, that people who worked in cotton mills were more likely to get lung disease, that people who smoked cigarettes were more likely to get lung cancer, that people who were exposed to asbestos were more likely to get mesothelioma, and the people who ate a lot of processed foods and not a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables were more likely to get a dozen different kinds of cancers. And in fact, his book on, on food and cancer is still in print. And his work on lung diseases, uh, he was the co-founder of the American Lung Association. Wow. Um, you know, the whole March of Dimes and all that stuff. So he was a very, very famous guy and really good with numbers. And in 1896, he ran the numbers on the difference in mortality and morbidity, death and sickness rates between white people and black people. He had just married the Southern Belle from Georgia um, and kind of adopted her family's worldview about race. And he noticed that black people were more likely to get sick and more likely to die than white people just in every dimension, you know, regardless of diet and, and pretty much everything else. And the conclusion he drew was that, therefore, they must be genetically inferior. And then the super conclusion that he drew from that was, therefore, if you want to solve the, quote, race problem in America, because this was, you know, post-Reconstruction. Um, in fact, his book, uh, Race, Traits, and Tendencies of the American Negro, was published in 1896, the same year as the Plessy versus Ferguson decision. The conclusion he drew was that if white America forbade black America from having access to health care for, for just a couple of generations, black people would all die out. And that would solve the race problem. And that became essentially policy that was you know he testified before congress he, he went on a road show he traveled all over the country his book was a major bestseller 
Um, it, it was thrown in the face of Teddy Roosevelt in 1912 when he proposed single-payer health care. It was like, but black people will get it. It was thrown in the face of Franklin Roosevelt in 1937 when he tried to propose it. It was thrown in the face of Harry Truman in 1947, the year after Hoffman died. You know, but, but black people will get it. And, and when John Kennedy tried it in 1961. And finally in 66, when Lyndon Johnson did Medicare, these white racist Southern senators came to him. John Stennis kind of led the, the, the bunch, but Strom Thurmond was there. And they said, if we're gonna have Medicare that's gonna provide health care to all people over 65, we want you to, to put a provision in it that'll make it difficult for poor black people to have access to it. Wow. We don't want them in our hospitals. And that's why there's a 20% gap in Medicare was because they figured that the poor black people couldn't afford that 20% and therefore they would, wouldn't show up at the hospital or doctor's office. So up until the 1980s, the main reason we never had a national health care program in the United States was racism. Post-1980, in 1983, Ronald Reagan stopped enforcing the Sherman Antitrust Act, and within a decade, we went from literally hundreds of small, mostly nonprofit insurance companies all over the country to about a dozen health insurance companies that were operating on a for-profit basis. And those companies are generating over a billion dollars a week in profits. And so anytime anybody pops up and says, you know, we're the only developed country in the world that has a health insurance industry like this, literally the only one. I mean, there's there's for-profit health insurance companies in other countries, but what they do is they, they provide health insurance to very, very rich people. So if you get sick, you get an entire suite in the hospital or an air ambulance with a private jet if you get sick overseas, yep. that kind of stuff. You know, catered meals in the in the hospital when you're sick. This just, so, this, yeah, go ahead. So, so um, you know, since 1980, what's happened is this, this essential monopoly of health insurance companies, whenever anybody, you know, pops up and starts talking about replacing them with Medicare for all with a single payer system, uh, they just pour a few hundred million dollars into into false and misleading advertising and a few other hundred million dollars into buying off politicians. And that's what's made it so hard. It's one of the reasons that one of the solutions in the book I propose these these uh, six largest companies in aggregate have a market capitalization value of around one point one trillion. Why don't we just buy them, you know, buy them, shut them down move their employees over to Medicare and and just keep moving forward. Right. And who who are these uh, who are who's who's who are these companies per se and, and how do they intertwine with the pharmaceutical industry? Well, they're just for profit, you know, basically they're banks. You know, I mean, they take money <laughs> in, they they send money out. Um, they they skim about 20% off the top. Uh, they make a hell of a lot of money. United Healthcare is the largest of them. Their former CEO, Dollar Bill McGuire, uh, took home over $1.6 billion from his tenure there. He was followed by Stephen J. Hemsley, who took over $700 million. Um, they have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 executives who are paid over a million dollars a year. Um, other health insurance companies have, you know, CEOs who make tens of millions of dollars, and their executives who make over a million. And you know that's all possible because they say no your your kid ha can't have a liver transplant sorry or no we're not going to pay for that surgery or no we're going to make your doctor beg us four different times before you can have that procedure um you know which is obscene it's absurd um there i, I would say that the relationship that the the health insurance industry has with the pharmaceutical industry is one of shared interest which is giant exploitative parasitic corporations 
they cut deals with the pharmaceutical companies so they negotiate prices with the drug companies so that they pay you know fairly low prices um uh, but the pharmaceutical companies then lobbied congress and the bush administration back in 2003 i think it was maybe 2005 to make it illegal for medicare to negotiate for drug prices so when when somebody on medicare gets a prescription medicare has to pay uh, you know say it's a, a you know 100 tablets of of uh, you know whatever yep. uh, you know cpro or something um, medicare has to pay at the one pill price you know the, the dollar 50 a pill price whereas when the veterans administration buys you know, a million tablets of, uh, yeah. as you know, of uh, CPRO. They pay, you know, two cents a pill. And that's illegal for Medicare to negotiate that. Right now, there's an effort that AARP is leading, actually, to let Medicare negotiate drug prices. It'll save $60 billion a year. That's pure profit for the health insurance, for the, for the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And, of course, they're running ads on TV saying, oh, no, if you do that, people on Medicare won't be able to get drugs, which is complete BS. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so it's kind of a hand in glove relationship or, or a good friends relationship, let's say. So the distinction here for listeners is uh, is essentially in the United States is they if, if they haven't uh, realized. But, the, 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 of course, the only people in, in the United States that are receiving medical care are the veterans. And this is what you explain in your book. Uh, you allude to in the book are, are not necessarily veterans, not entirely veterans, but, but service members, so military personnel, whereas the rest right. of the citizens are not, not taken care of. Um, go into a little bit here of uh, what Bernie Sanders is talking about, and, and you, you, you mentioned it as a bullet point, page one, 134 for listeners to get the book. Uh, this is Tom Hartman, and we're talking about his latest uh, book of the, install- the, the an installment of the hidden history of the American healthcare, why sickness bankrupts you and makes others insanely rich. Um, closing offshore profits and escort pass-through accounts. Right. The uh, let's see here. I'm I'm looking for page 134 here. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh yeah, close the offshore profit. Yeah. Th- this is uh, this is part of the way that Bernie would pay for it. And basically, w- what these are, this is 1.2 trillion dollars a year that. Uh, corporations, large corporations in America, avoid paying taxes on that. If you or I, I you know, my my show and my writing is a small business. I'm a small business owner. I'm guessing you are too. Um, we pay taxes on our money, but when you hit a certain level, when you become a billionaire, uh, you can set up offshore corporations. You can set up these uh, so-called S corp pass-through corporations that that came out of, uh, to a large extent, uh, Trump's tax cut. Um, although in, in different ways they existed before that, that allow them to avoid paying taxes. And so, you know, this is just one of the ways that if we simply collected tax, everybody was paying, you know, reasonable tax rates um, uh, relative to, you know, the profits that they're making, and in this case, big corporations, could easily pay for Medicare for all. Do we need, do we need, do listeners need to think in a progressive manner of, hey, do we need more of a banking reform in order to tackle this healthcare system? Or can we, can we, as implied, can, can we, can we legitimately install uh, some, some new policy to, to make uh, healthcare available at a very minimal uh, uh, way anyway for, for, for all taxpaying citizens? What are your thoughts on that, Tom? If we simply, I mean, when, when Lyndon Johnson and Robert Paul wrote the Medicare law back in the 60s, they wrote it in such a way, and with the intention, actually, 
that they figured it would happen within 10 years, within a decade, that all you had to do is drop that 65-year requirement. You had to be 65 or older yeah. to qualify for it. They could that you could drop it down maybe te, you know a decade every year so that you could gradually walk walk your you know, kind of back into it uh, without overloading the system and get it down to zero. So everybody was covered by it as a single payer healthcare system. And then you'd have something similar to what, you know, Canada and France and other countries have uh, that works so well and is so much less expensive than what we have. Um, And, and and I think that's, that's That's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Uh, It may, it may well, we, in all probability though, my guess is that probably what we're going to do is we're going to get it the way Canada got it. Um, The premier of Saskatchewan, Tommy Douglas, uh, back in the 60s, uh, created a single-payer system for Saskatchewan. Other provinces nearby said, hey, this is cool. It's less expensive. Everybody gets covered. There's less sickness. Um, you know, it, it works. And, you know, within a decade, every single province in Canada had it, and the federal government came in and kind of backstopped them. But there's still – every province is – every what we would call a state yeah. in Canada has a slightly different, you know, uh, system. You know, some cover eyeglasses, some don't. Some are a little more expensive, a little less expensive. Um, California and Vermont have both passed laws allowing for single-payer health care systems run by the states, just like Canada has. The problem is that back in the 60s, when they wrote the Medicare and Medicaid laws, they wanted to make sure that the states couldn't selectively pass out the money. In other words, give the money to white people and not to black people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's basically like this line of control over that cash that goes from Washington, D.C. down to the person receiving the health care. And so when Vermont, they passed their single payer law first, it was about four years ago, uh, when Vermont passed that law, they went to the federal government and said, okay, cool, we're ready to do this. The federal government said, okay, we're going to have to cut off all the Medicare money coming into your state, which was billions, all the people over 65, and all the Medicaid money, all the people making under $13,000 a year, all that Medicaid money, we're going to cut that off to your state, and you're going to have to figure out how to pay for that yourself. Good luck. Democrats have been for two decades now, every year, proposing legislation to produce what's called Medicare waivers, Medicare and Medicaid waivers, or also known as state waivers, so that states can have a single-payer system and still have that federal Medicare and Medicaid money coming into the state so it doesn't bankrupt the states. And it's a real simple fix, a real simple solution, but the Republicans have fought it tooth and nail, and there have been a few Democrats who are in the pockets of the insurance companies who fought in tooth and nail too. But if we can just get that change made, then I don't think we need to worry about Congress doing this or, or Bernie doing this. I think the individual states will do it themselves. And why is it that why is it that the word socialism, right? That that that's a label that gets slapped on. People start talking about some type of uh, uh, healthcare for for taxpaying citizens, uh, socialism, and and certainly Republicans. You know, Tom. Uh, frankly, I think both of the parties are are, are, are incredibly corrupt. So I, I try not to align with either one of the parties, the, the two major parties. Uh, but but this is this is this is to you know to my understanding, it's it's hey, it makes it makes complete sense. You've got you're you're paying you're forming a government to pay for basic levels of education for uh, uh, for for water uh, for to pave roads. You know, it makes complete sense Fire that police. Yeah, water police, it makes complete sense that you should be able to walk into a hospital and get some type of treatment for a basic element. Uh, but yet, hey, you're, you're a communist, you're a socialist. If you're supporting that type of thing, 
Why is that? And you, and you talk about what Germany was doing in 18, 1884, and you also bring up Karl Marx in your book. Uh, give some comments on that, if you would, Tom. Sure. Well, first of all, socialism means different things to different people. So, uh, you know, but but the fact of the matter is that there's basically three kinds of healthcare systems in the world right now in terms of government systems to pay for healthcare. Um, one is this crazy quilt patchwork for profit system that we have in the United States. We're the only developed country in the world that has that, where where literally a trillion dollars is siphoned off basically or in the neighborhood of a trillion every year by by hustlers and big corporations. The second is where the government actually owns the hospitals, owns the doctor's offices, employs the doctors. That's true socialized medicine. In the developed world, the only country that has a system like that is Britain with the National Health Service. And the third is what's called a single payer system, which is where the government is the only entity that pays all the bills. And so for, which is what everybody else has by and large. So for example, there's a hospital, Albert Einstein Hospital in New York City, you know, 100 and, I think they've got 529 beds. There's a similar hospital in Toronto with about the same number of beds. I think it's 523. And the hospital in New York has a floor and a half, you know, with 100 people devoted to billing, you know, and, and, uh, and dunning customers and putting people in collection and, and dealing with insurance companies wow. and fighting with them and everything else. The hospital in Toronto, has one room with two desks and three people. Oh, amen. Hospital. Glory. <laughs> because there's only one payer, right? It's it's the province of, of Ontario. No. That's it. Uh, they just write the checks. So uh, single payer is less expensive, more efficient, works better. Now, we have all three of those systems here in the United States. We've got this crazy quilt patchwork that everybody under 65 is part of. Mm. We've got socialized medicine, which every veteran is part of. Veterans Administration hospitals are owned by the government and VA doctors work for the government. So it's just like the British national healthcare system. So we have socialized medicine here. And then we also have a single payer system here, which is what Medicare is and, and also what Medicaid is. So if Medicare were simply, if we were to simply take that, take Lyndon Johnson up on what he expected we would have done back in, in the 1970s yeah. and drop the eligibility age from 65 down to zero, you've got instantly a single payer system like Canada has. And talk, I mentioned the name Peter Morganson. Uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in Denmark. I was on uh, Danish radio years ago, and uh, this is back in 2008. I did my show there for a week, and I had he, – he's a newspaper publisher, a very famous conservative. He'd been a politician, um, uh, and, and I like getting conservatives on my show and, and debating and discussing things and whatnot. So I, so I said, you know, uh, words to the effect of you're a conservative. You must just, you know, absolutely hate this, uh, this, uh, single, this uh, single-payer health care system. And he's yeah. like, no, no, what are you, crazy? I love it. Oh. And, and, I, and I'm like, well, how many people in Denmark every year, uh, you know, end up broke because somebody got sick? And he literally started blinking, you know, like, like what? Um, and he's like, I don't <laughs> understand. And, and, and I'm like, well, in America, it's a half a million a year. And he's like, no, that's not possible. And, and uh, you know, and, and I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's really the case. And he's like, well, I don't understand. You guys, you know, why isn't there a revolution? I mean, Americans are revolutionary. Why aren't you fighting back against this? <laughs> and he, he just couldn't believe it. And then later that day, uh, Danish radio, I was using their studios, and it's like, you know, BBC, you know, it's or NPR, it's the national radio system that's uh, government supported. 
they had me on an hour-long call-in program in English. Everybody in Denmark speaks English. And, um, you know, and I told that story, and uh, people started calling in going, come on, that's not possible. Nobody in America would tolerate that. Are you kidding? A half million families losing their homes, being <laughs> destroyed just because somebody got sick? That's crazy. And person after person called me a liar, right, on the air. Until finally this exchange student, this kid, this Danish kid, explained in English and Danish, going back and forth, so everybody got it, that he's really a Dane, um, you know, that he had been an exchange student in the United States for a year, and the family that he had stayed with had had to remortgage their home because somebody got sick. They didn't end up bankrupt, but, you know, they ended <laughs> up broke. And at that point, it's like, then I'm getting phone calls from people going, I'm so sorry for you. It was hysterical. <laughs> it was hysterical. So for this is this is going <laughs> this is probably going to uh, 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 th- this will surprise a lot of listeners, but um, yeah, I I throw out often, and and I think uh, one of the last uh, discussions you and I have had was around your the the, the book that you did on monopolies, uh, and I uh, think we had, you know we'd gotten into the British East Indies Company uh, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing, but but monopolies has been a major challenge uh, <laughs> in the American yeah. system uh, throughout the uh, the lifespan of the country, uh, you know, 200 uh, plus years, but uh, 250 or so, uh, just about. Uh, what's of interest is I throw, I throw this out a lot of, a lot of times, Tom, to, 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 to people know that I, what I do, and, and this surprises a lot of people when I say that uh, a study out of Harvard uh, actually shows, and I think it's available on the uh, the the Washington uh, 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 the George Washington Foundation or whatever one of the one of the organizations that he uh, he left behind or his heirs run or whatever it may be that Washington himself owned shares of the Bank of England during the American Revolution. Um, now you bring up Washington in in that and that just throws people totally different side of the the, the ball field. But you bring up Washington uh, in a way uh, regarding vaccines. Uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate that. Elaborate on that. Yeah, well, George Washington, number one, during the Revolutionary War, uh, we lost, uh, it was 10 to 1. For every one soldier who died in the Revolutionary War from a musket shot, nine soldiers died from disease. And the principal disease then was smallpox. And so finally, George Washington said, okay, enough of this crap. And he ordered the Continental Army to be vaccinated. So there's that. And so that was our first vaccine mandate. And then when he became president, um, he signed legislation that paid for the health care for poor people in Washington, D.C., which was the responsibility of the federal government, um, not just their health care, but also their housing, their clothing and their food. Um, and then the following president, James uh, John, John Adams, and these guys were both conservatives. I mean, they were federalists. They were the Republicans of their day. And John Adams was, you know, right up there with Donald Trump in many ways. Um, and, and, and John Adams signed the le- single-payer legislation that, that required all merchant seamen, and this was, the, I'm not talking about the Navy, I'm talking about civilians who worked on the ships that facilitated American trade with other countries, because we were building uh, you know, a trade behemoth here in the United States based on a plan that Alexander Hamilton laid out in 1791, his 11-point plan. And, and uh, Adams signed this law requiring all these uh, sailors to sign up for a single-payer health care plan uh, for individual seamen that was paid for by the federal government. It was our first single-payer health care plan. So it's not like this is a radical or new idea. 
Yeah, well said. Um, yeah, I was I was able to get able to get very close to uh, Donald Trump in October of last year. I was promoting uh, a Google whistleblower. His name is Voorhees, uh, and uh, and and the the uh, former president called me a prize fighter. Yeah, I, I think it was just from my appearance, not necessarily from him knowing uh, the the work that I do. But let's pull back here for a second, Tom, and and let's have a. I want to get your analysis of what's happening in the country right now. Uh, where do you think the country stands? We've got you know we've got homeless problem. That's a that's been a problem since day one. But it uh, seems like people I talk to that are in San Francisco or L.A., some of the larger cities, the homelessness seems to be continuing to rise, become a, a more of a problem. Uh, healthcare is still something over decades that we are unable to um, to provide on a and again on a very basic level uh, for uh, taxpaying citizens. Um, what is the climate like in your view right now um, in the country? What, what are you What are you looking at from 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 Tom Hartman's view? What, what, what do you look at when you look at the uh, the news every day? Well, I think there's some good stuff happening, and I think there's some serious crisis stuff happening. Um, you know, the homeless problem is is a very real and very severe problem. Um, uh, I'm I'm an old fart. You know, in, in the '60s, I hitchhiked from Michigan out to San Francisco, <laughs> and I, I I spent the summer of '68 living living you know in, in part in in a park and and in part uh, you know in an alley in in the behind Telegraph wow. Avenue in Berkeley and wow. and uh, you know down on the corner of Fell and Hate and whatnot and and there wasn't homelessness then there there just wasn't I mean there were hippies you know sleeping in the park but you know we were we weren't homeless people yeah. and and uh but reagan then said okay you know the federal government and the state government should no longer be paying for mental health services that's socialism and so he closed the mental hospitals and so suddenly in the 80s as a result of that we started having this homeless problem that was being really driven by by mental illness and then you know neoliberalism came along you know jimmy carter kind of adopted it in 78 margaret thatcher maggie thatcher in 78 really started this whole idea that that if you if government just steps out of the way and doesn't provide services and you cut taxes radically on rich people and and destroy the labor unions and reduce the wealth of working class people it will stabilize society it'll be a good thing this whole and and also if you move your factories offshore and you know, and, and, and like that, this, this, this whole neoliberal agenda that has was adopted formally in the United States in 1981 by Reagan and then approved of and expanded by Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and George H.W. Bush and Barack Obama and Donald Trump. Every single one of them just added to that neoliberal agenda. It has produced, I think, a terrible crisis for this country and other countries we're also adopting neoliberalism, and, and it's damaged them as well. I'm, I'm pleased to see that Joe Biden is starting to walk back from that and is starting to say, no, there are things government can do. I don't want government making my blue jeans or my computers, but maybe they should have you know, something to do with producing our, our, you know, our power, for example. Um, you know, we know that publicly owned utilities uh, are way more reliable than privately owned for-profit utilities, they, and they provide electricity at a much lower cost. Uh, PG&E was just convicted of murder, you know, for the Paradise Fire because they could have taken $3 billion in profits and buried high tension lines, and instead they distributed it to their CEO and to their stockholders. And, and so, you know, I think this whole, this whole discussion of neoliberalism and the commons is the crisis that we're facing in the United States. I think healthcare is a piece of it, and I think homelessness is a, is a piece of it as well. I, Finland. I don't know if you if you know about this. Ian, Finland uh, just outlawed homelessness, 
and they wow. did it in an interesting way. They didn't just say, okay, if you're homeless, you're an outlaw, you're going to go to jail. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's if you are an administrator of a city or a county where there are homeless people, you are in violation of the law. You mm-hmm. better figure out a way to get those people off the streets and, and not put them in jail. And so what's happening is Finland is building low-income housing like there's no tomorrow. They're getting homeless people off the streets. They're getting them services. People are getting, you know, the mental health people, mm-hmm. you know, people needing mental health are getting those services. The people who just need some bootstraps are getting the bootstraps. And, you know, they are predicting that by the end of next year, there will be no homelessness in Finland. And, you know, the, these kinds of experiments are starting to happen all around the world, and we really need to be looking at that kind of thing. We've got a horrible problem with homelessness here in Portland, but part of it is because, you know, when Trump was having his war with, with uh, Portland and, and Seattle back, you know, a year and a half ago during the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, mm-hmm. you had Republican-controlled cities all over the United States who were literally buying one-way bus tickets for their local homeless populations, particularly the hardcore schizophrenics, to Portland. And so you walk around the homeless camps here, and, you know, I don't know what the official numbers are, but it seems to me, from what I've seen, that like seven out of eight of them, you say, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Miami. Where are you from? Oh, I came from Wilmington, you know, North Carolina. Oh, I mm-hmm. came from, you know, it, it's like, what? <laughs> it's like, Wow. It's happening all up and down the West Coast, of course, you know, because we've got a year round climate here. So, uh, you know, we've got to deal with this systemically. It can't just be the responsibility of Portland or Los Angeles or of Oregon or California. It's got to be a, a national thing. And you're this is this. this is Portland, Oregon. You're speaking of, Tom. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that's where you were. OK, I thought you were yeah, on the East Coast. Live, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, so this is fascinating about Finland, and wow, I mean, that would that would be really incredible, right? I mean, that would just be absolutely incredible. You put the burden on someone else. You put the burden on, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we all have to scavenge for food. That's that's part of we have to work and 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 and, and feed ourselves. But uh, but but to some degree, we, we have we have analogies to that here. You know, it is it is the law right now that cities have to provide a certain level of safety to their people. That's why we have police forces. And if you can demonstrate that your police forces fail to keep you safe, you can sue them and you can sue your city council and you can sue your mayor. It's the same the same logic. Let's get back to some of these early pages before we we wind down here. Another fascinating discussion with you, Tom, and and, and your the research that you do and the research that you put into these hundred and fifty pages uh, is is really impressive uh but let's let's talk uh, briefly about because i've had my own qualms with rick scott i uh, florida i i haven't met him uh i have read desantis i don't know rick scott but i've <laughs> i've had some issues with with him in the past talk briefly about charlene dill charlene dill was a young woman she was uh, 32 i think when she died um, she had three young children. Uh, the youngest was three. I think the oldest was eight or nine or thereabouts. I, I'm doing this from memory. I'm sorry. I don't have that chapter in front of me. And um, she had a congenital heart dis- dis- uh, problem. She was yeah. born with, a, with a, 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 a heart problem that was easily fixed with medication. And the medication was quite expensive. And she worked three jobs. She was raising three kids. She lived in a trailer park. She owned her own trailer. She was very proud of it. Um, she was a real hardworking young woman. And she had three kids from her marriage that had, had fallen apart, ultimately. And um, she 
uh, couldn't afford her medication. And this was the year that that uh, Medicaid expansion happened under Obamacare. And Rick Scott was the governor of Florida. And he said, uh, you know, the federal government was offering, I think it was $80 billion, some mind-boggling number of billions of dollars to Florida to expand Medicaid to cover everybody in the state. You know, right now in Florida, if you are dirt poor, if you're broke, if you're not working at all, if you make less than two or $3,000 a year, you get Medicaid, you qualify for Medicaid. And if you make over a certain amount, I think it's around 13,000, it varies from state to state. So I'm, I'm a little shaky with the exact numbers on a per state basis, but typically it's between 11 and $13,000 a year. If you make over that, you qualify for subsidies for Obamacare, for insurance. But in between those two numbers, you got nothing. And that's why Medicaid expansion, which fills in that spot between those two numbers, was such an important part of Obamacare. Well, when the Supreme Court ruled that you don't have to expand Medicaid, Rick Scott was the governor of Florida, and he said, screw it, we're not gonna take the federal money, that's socialism, we're not gonna go with that. And so Charlene Dill couldn't afford her medication. She was working her third job, um, you know, going out cleaning somebody's house, and she dropped dead. And uh, her best friend I, I interviewed, I, I wrote about her at, at some length at the time that this happened, you know, her story went national. And uh, her best friend was like, you know, Rick Scott killed my best friend, killed, hmm. killed Charlene. And, you know, in a way it's true because if he had simply signed the legislation, she could have gotten the leg her, her heart medication and she'd still be with us and her kids would still have a mother. Four-time winner. 12 states. That and what? That right now, 12 states, all Republican-controlled, all former slave states that still refuse to expand Medicaid. Economics, the four-time winner of the Project Censored Award. Tom, I didn't realize uh, you'd won. I've had the Project Censored. I him under the name of the gentleman. One, one of the uh, one of the people there, Project Censors, has joined my show. Uh, four-time winner of the Project Censored uh, Award. New York Times best-selling author, authors of thirty-two books, ladies and gentlemen, thirty-two books, and it's nationally syndicated uh, radio show on Sirius XM from coast to coast. Uh, Tom, what's what's next? You've got another installment in this series. Yeah, I, the, there's a, a book. It'll be out in six months. It's called The Hidden History of Big Brother, um, and it's about government <laughs> corporate surveillance, the the, the the surveillance state. And then the one that I just started writing this last weekend, which will be out in a year, is called The Hidden History of uh, Neoliberalism, which is you know, part of why I'm ranting about neoliberalism today. It's in my head. That's awesome. I, I'm looking forward to it, and, and that's what I like about what you do tom you you go you just you you go right after these topics like a bulldog um the police state this is going to be very interesting look forward to re-hosting you for that one uh tom some some final words in regards to um these uh let's just call it these big banks um these big these big banks on their monopolistic whole uh, stronghold on american health care some final words on that yeah well as as you well know ian and you and i have talked about this in the past and, and you've really got your finger on the pulse of this. We have, we have to um, return competition to the marketplace and we have to have a conversation, a national conversation about the commons. What is the appropriate function of government? You know, we kind of agree that fire departments, although I realize there's libertarians out there that think even fire departments should be privatized, but generally we agree fire departments, police departments, public roads, public schools, those, uh, and, and I realize that there's, you know, libertarians and even Republicans who want to do it with public schools, but still we kind of agree that those are the commons. I believe that healthcare should be considered part of the commons. 
But the tragedy is that, you know, since Reagan put Bill Bennett in charge of the education department, we stopped teaching civics in the 1980s. He had two generations who don't even know what the commons is. So, you know, we, we need to have these conversations. And, 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 and God bless you, Ian, for helping educate people about this stuff. Tom, until next time, I look forward to it. And um, thanks again for joining the show. My pleasure. Good talking to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Hartman. And, and by the way, I, I responded to Tom inaccurately in that we are currently live on some of my websites. Uh, so iantrachier.com, we are live. Uh, but my response to him is that we were recording. So that was, that was, that was an inaccuracy. Um, look, uh, I think we've connected via Skype in the past. I don't know why I'll get that uh, I'll get that summed up with his assistant that I work with to schedule to schedule uh, the programs and the shows with Tom. Um, Tom is dynamite. I, I love the work that he does, and um, and I highly recommend uh, Amazon. Again, the book is the Hidden History. That's the series he's been writing now. Seems like he's been on it for a couple of years. The in this installment is the American Healthcare. Why sickness bankrupts you and makes others insanely rich. I mean, some of these, some of these, uh, these salaries, seven hundred million dollars. America, why does this not? Why, why are you not fuming? Why are you not fuming now? Okay, so this is the American way, right? This is the apple pie, uh, baseball to be able to build a company, be able to build a service. To educate, to care for other people. If you you made seven hundred million dollars off of building your own business, that's one thing. But if you have gone through the education system, whether public public or private, the education system in the United States or, or elsewhere, and you've come in and you're taking you're taking hold uh, with your MBA from uh, from Harvard or Wharton or wherever it may be, and you're taking hold of a multi really what it comes down to is a multinational large healthcare uh, providing corporation and you're at the helm of that corporation and you're walking home with uh, you know millions in your pocket after 12 month tenure uh, 12 month years tenure is salary salary uh, salary year there's an issue where there's an issue with that right so it's the, the question is why why are the, where are these grossly insane profits coming from and that's why that's why I had to thread in there the pharmaceutical industry because the pharmaceutical industry is, is, is so tyrannic in so many different ways. Um, and now, and, and, and this is me personally, this is why I'm against the mandates on vaccines. I'm not against vaccines. I'm not against science. I'm not against technology. Okay? Uh, I am against mandates. This is my personal opinion. I am against mandates on vaccines, especially especially when it comes to a vaccine passport, which says, nope, only if you get vaccinated can you purchase products at this store. Nope, only if you get vaccinated can you go to a concert. Folks, again, this is reflected on my view of the tyranny through the pharmaceutical industry. Focus focus on a cure, okay? Prevention is one thing. But you know what are we going to do? We're going to start. We're going to start working on vaccinations for to prevent diseases that 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 could possibly develop in the next twenty or thirty years. And so we're going to inject you with the vaccination right now, so that you know, as a three a three month old, when you when you're twenty, that this disease that doesn't yet exist, 
you can be you you won't you won't get the disease, but you know, our our algorithms, our our collection of data shows us that the trends are moving this way, and uh, you know you're likely this disease will pop up. So yeah, your child is going to get vaccinated. There's totally we're mandating this because when they by the by the time they turn 20, they can be susceptible to to, to acquiring this this virus and developing this disease, and so the, you're mandating is no, I mean. Uh, that's that's a that's that's where this is going in my view. That's completely where this is going. It's 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 out of control, and that kind of sets the stage for Tom's next installment, which is of the police state, which he's a big big brother, big surveillance. Uh, guys, you gotta stand. You you gotta stand up either side of the aisle. Okay, either side of the aisle, whether Democrat or Republican. I I frankly, yeah, most of my views, uh, people would probably call call them. Uh, uh, you know, more conservative in a sense, uh, but hey, it, it is it, it, what it is. What it is, I I think both of the parties are corrupt. I I see I see I see political alignment on both sides of the fence. W- what I support is the United States Constitution, and it seems that today in 2021, even that even that thing, and it has been under attack for years, right? Paul Craig Roberts, a former Reagan advisor, joined the show, and he says there is no constitutional rights. It's a, it's a facade. Uh, Americans think there are constitutional rights. There are no constitutional rights. But here's the basics. I'm speaking my mind right now, and um, and I'm free to do that. Well, you know, we, we 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 all we all must have that ability to do that. We all must have that ability to do that. So that's why I fight personally. I fight so hard to take the government to task, to take to task some of these big corporations, to take to task the banking industry. Like I opened up the show with the Federal Reserve. Take it to task, okay? You know, show us who your shareholders are. We we don't we we don't know. That is not public information. Yet is it is a bank that regulates uh, it regulates uh, the economics of the United States government. Yet in many ways, it's by and large a private banking organization, based off of a bill that was passed in 1913 by Woodrow Wilson called the Federal Reserve Act. <sighs> a lot of stuff that's just way too fishy, America. It's way too fishy. And you should be totally irate. You should be completely and totally irate. Okay? Thank goodness me, as a human being, I have my health. Okay? I have my health. When someone doesn't have their health, it makes complete sense to be able to walk into a hospital and say, hey, uh, Uncle Sam, Beholder of the taxes, collector of uh, beholder of the pot that collects his taxes, the collector of the taxes. Okay, we slave day in day out to pay our taxes to be good abiding citizens. Uh, help me out here with a little bit of help. You know, give me a little bit of help here. Okay, on the very basic level. Again, I'm not talking about a heart transplant. Okay, I'm not talking about brain surgery. But I am saying on a very basic level, the same people that work. Day in, day out, me, likely you, day in, day out to support a system that educates their children, that paves the roads for them to drive on, that like Tom brought up, that forms fire brigades, uh, uh, fire departments, whoever it may be, to burn out fires, to fund police departments, to keep your streets safe. There's absolutely no reason why a very elementary level of healthcare should not be reflected in the paying of those taxes.
It makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense to me. Okay. All right. So fine. So does it mean that the government needs to feed people? Um, no, not necessarily. But there again, you're bringing up something that does make sense. Where do you want your taxes to go to, America? While you're allowing a CFO or a CEO, whatever it may be, of a large multinational corporation to walk home with $700 million, or be it $10 million, be it with a million dollars, you're allowing that person to walk home with that kind of money and live in luxury while you can't... I mean, you're struggling to get your roads paved. Tell me you're not. Of course you are. You're struggling to get your, your schools financed. The federal government isn't even isn't even holding up their end of the of the deal to pave your city roads. Okay? You've got you got issues like water problems, a la Flint, Michigan. They can't even Okay. <laughs> I was weird, I was kidding. I was just getting started. And then I got an issue with the, t- with the, with the software. Uh, I'll line this down right now. Uh, America, I, I, I that this is why I like having Tom on my show. This is why I like him having him on the show. That guy's got tenacity. He's got fire. He's got wits. And he's got American spirit. And that's what I want you to have. Okay? That's what I want you to have. That is the beauty of our democratic uh, uh, republic. Okay, that is the beauty of the system that we have inherited, and it's up to us to keep it just. Folks, until next week, I am Ian Trache. Yeah, uh, next week we've got Alana Freeland joining the show. She's going to talk about transhumanism and geoengineering. A wonderful topic. She'll be here third time joining. Discuss your truth, Alana Freeland, and then Joe Kent. A uh, 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 political um, candidate, I believe he's out of Washington. We're going to follow that up with the following week with Eric Finman and some other great stuff coming down the pipe for you. Uh, follow me on Instagram, Twitter, um, and check out, you know, check out, this is what I like. I like fighters. I, I'm just telling you, I like fighters, uh, and it keeps people It keeps people in check. It keeps, pe- it keeps justice going. Um, Chris Sky, check out that episode. That was from July 28th. Chris Sky up in Canada that's working very hard for basic freedoms and, and, and rights uh, for uh, Canadians. Until next week, folks, this is Ian Trache. Okay, wrap up. Ian Trache for Discuss Your Truth. Be awesome. <laughs>